I needed that last song. That's got a good, good message to it. Strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. And, uh, you know, this weekend is the showcase of homes, right? There's six heavenly homes and with heavenly prices. And, uh, and we're going to look at, we're going to look at a home this morning. And, uh, not six of them, because we after you see this one, you're not going to want any other one. It's in Revelation chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. It's uh, page 878, the last page of the Bible. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. The Apostle John wrote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. This is our home. This is our destiny. It's what we've been created for. This is it, right here. And I want this. I want this this more than anything else. I want this more than life itself. I want this more than I want my wife. I want this more than than I want my sons. I want this more than I want 
being privileged to be your minister? I want this. And this is all we have to offer. This is it. If you don't want this and you're visiting, we don't have anything else. There's nothing else. Just this. The new heavens and the new earth. What do you think about when you think about heaven? What do you think about? John Eldridge has written a book called The Journey of Desire. And in that book he writes, Nearly every Christian I have spoken with has some idea that uh, eternity is an unending church service. We've settled on this, on this image of a, of a never-ending sing-along in the sky. You know, one great hymn after another. <laughs> you know? It's like, like heaven is sitting here listening to Randy preach for, uh, th- forever? <laughs> really? I mean, 35 minutes. Okay, that stops. But forever? <laughs> that's it? That, that's good news? <laughs> Eldridge says, and, and, and then we sigh and we feel guilty that you know that we aren't more spiritual and we lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can what do you think about when you think about heaven and and often then what happens we we you know get misinformed by this world and sometimes in silly ways and this shows up in comic strips like the far side you remember if you're over 40 do you remember gary larson's the far side this is uh, one of his things on heaven angel says welcome to heaven here's your harp and then at the bottom of the cartoon it says you know welcome to hell here's your accordion and uh, so <laughs> if you gave that to me it would be hell i'll tell you man and we, so we get misinformed about, you know, what heaven is and the idea that this is heart playing angel on a cloud. It, it's neither biblical nor heaven. And no one really desires that kind of heaven. No one. And, and, and so maybe, maybe since no one really desires that, maybe it just doesn't exist, you see. Randy Alcorn has written an excellent book on heaven. And uh, here's what he said. He once wrote, We do not desire to eat gravel. That's profound. Why? Because God did not design us to eat gravel. Trying to develop an appetite for a disembodied existence in a non-physical heaven is a lot like trying to develop an appetite for gravel. No no matter how sincere we are, no matter how hard we try, it's not going to work. What we were created to desire is exactly what God has designed us to desire. A resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected heaven and earth. The new heaven and the new earth, what John is talking about in Revelation chapter 21. And that's what we see. There's nothing disembodied about Revelation chapter 21. There's walking, there's drinking, there's eating, there's serving, there's reigning. 
And this is our home. This is our destiny. This is where we're going. And we, we often talk about how to get to heaven. How about if we just talk about heaven? Let's just, let we talk about how to get there. Let's talk about there. And so John does. And when he wrote these words in Revelation chapter 21, you know, I mean, the Bible was written to a specific people at a specific place in a specific time. And so we glean lessons and principles from what it is that the original audience was learning and grasping. And, and so I just want us to look over the shoulders of the Apostle John and over the shoulders of those believers who first heard these words. And so John more or less kind of gives us an art gallery. We're, we're looking through an art gallery as we look through the verses in Revelation 21. And, and, and there are portraits. Why, there's a bride. If we look at one portrait, a beautiful bride. Then there's a, a, a holy city, a wonderful holy city. And then there's, a, there's a, a garden park, bride, city, park, images. And they kind of just kind of blend in and out of, of uh, the verses of this chapter and they spoke to those believers who first heard them. And, and here's why he spoke to them. You see, the believers who first heard these words were facing difficult times. They were a persecuted church. And the worst was yet to come. The worst emperor was not Domitian at the time of this writing in the year A.D. 95. No, the worst was, the worst was in the next century. Marcus Aurelius. You remember Marcus Aurelius, don't you? Gladiator. Russell Crowe's mentor, Richard Harris, you know him? You know the emperor who was trying to give Rome back itself? I mean, that sounded so good. And it, I like Marcus Aurelius so much better in the movie than I did in real life. Because the worst persecution in the second century took place at the order of Marcus Aurelius in the year A.D. 177, the Martyrs of Lyon, where Marcus Aurelius ordered the execution and Christians were mangled and mauled and stoned and thrown to wild beasts. The church historian Eusebius wrote about this. He wrote, their bodies were burnt and the ashes thrown into the river they went in, listen to this, they went in peace to God, leaving no sorrow to the church, nor strife, nor conflict to their brothers, but joy and peace and concord and love. And you ask, what in the world gave those Christians the strength to endure what Marcus Aurelius doled out to them? What was it? What did they have? Answer, this. They had this. They had the bride. They had the city. They had the garden. They did not have the outlines that you had as you walked in because when you're being mauled by wild beasts, you don't need three points. You need a vision. And that's what they had. And that vision was what, was what gave them hope. And every human being needs hope. Humans are hope-driven people. The way you live now is completely controlled by your future hope. I tell you, you put two patients in a hospital with the same cancer and you tell one there's no cure and you tell another that, that a cure is coming out, 
July 19, 2010. And I'm going to tell you which one's going to make it till then. We are a hope-driven people. Hope drives our lives. So what's your hope? What's your hope? John says, here's your hope. Your, your hope is in, is in the new heavens and the new earth. And what's that like? John says, that's like a, that's like a beautiful bride. Verse 2. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, why a bride? Why a bride? Well, you know, we've been reading through Revelation, and this is a contrast. I mean, the bride is, a bride is the opposite of a prostitute. And John has been seeing two cities, two destinies, two cultures, in Revelation 17, 1, the angel said to John, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, that same angel said, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he, he's seeing, someone said that the book of Revelation could be titled, A Tale of Two Cities, The Prostitute and the Bride. And the harlot city of Babylon versus the bride city of New Jerusalem. Babylon wears these gaudy jewels. Jerusalem is beautifully adorned. Babylon is full of disease and death. The new Jerusalem is full of life. Babylon is opposed to the Lamb. Oh, the new Jerusalem is the wife of the Lamb. And on and on, John sees these two really opposing images. And the question for them and us is, which are we going to choose? Who is our hope? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? But there's a second reason that John sees the bride. You see, God uses this bridal image to communicate the intimacy that he wants with his people. And marriage is the most intimate human relationship. Lyman Coleman uh, is an author, and several years ago his wife passed away. Listen to what he wrote. He said, the most painful decision of my life was asking God to take her home. She'd been suffering from repeated brain seizures and her body was wasted. I whispered in her ear, honey, I love you. I love you. Jesus wants you to come home. We're, we're, we're going to be all right. We, we give you permission to let go. And with that, she closed her eyes and went to sleep. And then Coleman wrote, I realize that I'm without my editor. I realize I, I'm without my greatest critic. He was an author. I realize I'm without my soulmate, my prayer mate, my partner in everything. We, we traveled the road. Let's travel together in hard times and good times. Honey, I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. I will keep the light on for the kids. I will be there for the friends. And one day, we are going to join you, all of us. Now, that level of oneness and intimacy is what we see in verse 3. Jesus says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their 
God. We, we are Christ's bride, verse 9 says. We will, we will live in the same home as God. And heaven is Jesus coming and saying, I want to live with my wife forever. And, and when that happens, that's why verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That, that's why verse 1 says there's no more sea. No, you see, the Hebrews, John's talking to his audience. The Hebrews were not exactly a seafaring people. To the Hebrews, the sea symbolized chaos and evil and rage and turmoil. The beast came out of the sea, if you remember. And so that there is no more sea means there's no more evil and no more sin. Someone wrote, sin does not create things. Sin has no originality, no creativity, no being in itself. Sin lives off of that which is good. It's a parasite feeding greedily on the goodness of what God has made. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be none of that. None whatsoever. None. And so in heaven, we won't have to apologize anymore. I won't have to apologize anymore. I won't have to repent anymore. I won't have to go back and make amends for thoughtless words. I won't have to struggle or feel shame over dirty thoughts and dirty words and dirty deeds. None of that. Because we will be a beautifully dressed, pure bride. I want that. And and in the new heavens and the new earth, we will finally experience normal. Finally. You see, Church family, death is not normal. Cancer is not normal. Debilitating pain and disease, these are not normal. You know, hiding in the night, that's not normal. Hospice is not normal. Standing in the critical care unit, deliberating if or when you will turn off the life support machine, that's not normal. Normal is not having to face, normal is not facing Marcus Aurelius. Normal in the new heavens and the new earth is no crying, no pain, no mourning, no death. That's normal. In the new heavens and the new earth, new is normal. I want that. Do you want that? And verse 5 says, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write it down. <laughs> Write it. There's no more vision in front of John's eyes of Jesus as this peasant Galilean. Instead, there he is. <laughs> the groom king, thundering. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I want normal. I want normal. Oh, but you know, it gets better, you see. It's good. We're not just talking about a beautiful bride here. It gets, but we get up to the top of this mountain peak and then we realize, oh, there's another one. There is. The, this beautiful bride has now become a picture of this holy city. Verse 10 says, but the angel carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain, a mountain great and high. He did that so he'd get a better view. He's going to get a really good view of this holy city. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And you need to understand that when the believers first read these words, 
the old Jerusalem was gone. Rome had sacked it about 25 years earlier. There was no Jerusalem at that time. It was gone. And the very fact that, that, that the holy city is named the new Jerusalem is an act of grace because the, the old Jerusalem wasn't thought holy. It wasn't. I mean, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So that... That we're hearing the holy city is called the new, that's like saying the new Las Vegas. It's new. It's not like the old. The old is gone. The new has come. But notice in verse 10, this is repeated from verse 1. Coming down. Coming down. You see that? See, ultimately, heaven is not an escape from earth. It's not. Sometimes we think of heaven like, you know, it's, you know, in the wintertime, we're going to go to Florida where the winters are warmer and the people are nicer. And we, no, 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 God's plan is not to take us to the realm made for him, but ultimately God's plan, God's plan is to come down and live in the realm that he has created for us. Someone called it an invasion of the city by the city. An invasion of the city. And what a city it is. It's a city. Not a city of independent individualists. But a city of interdependent citizens. A community. A glorious community too. Verse 11 says that the glory, it just shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel. And verses 12 through 14 say it's a, it's a, it's a, protected city it's a secure city a great high wall 12 gates and and we see the 12 tribes of israel on the gates and then we also see the the the, the foundations of the wall of the city written the 12 apostles so the entire redeemed community of the old and new testament are a part of the new heavens and the new earth and, and then there's verse 15. Look at that. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold. It's, it's a special city, so it requires a special measuring rod. Why is he measuring the city, though? To, to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Well, in the Bible, to measure something is to define that which belongs to God. This belongs to God. This is mine. And then he measured it. And look at the shape in verse 16. It's fascinating. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. That's 12. It's a, num- it's a number in Revelation that symbolizes completeness. Times 1,000, right? That, that, that is a number that symbolizes a you know, long, large amount. 12 times 1,000, but that, that's 1,400 miles found it to be 1,400 miles, look, in 16, in length and as wide and high as it is long. Now, you went to geometry class. What shape is that? It's a cube, isn't it? A cube. What's that? Why a cube? Why a cube? Question, what space in the Old Testament was shaped like a cube? Huh? 
No, the answer's not Jesus. Not, not this man. Yeah. The Holy of Holies. Remember, the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. See, that's why verse 22 says there's no temple. I did not see a temple in the city. See, a temple implies you need a mediator. But there's no temple. But the only, the, the whole city, though, is a cube. You see, see, the whole temple system in the Old Testament was design, designed to keep people out. You realize that, don't you? The tabernacle and then later the temple. The whole system was designed so that there was the court of the Gentiles, and then there was the court of Israel, and then there was the court of, of the priests, and then the most holy place, the cube, was for the high priest, and that only once a year. But we're not going to need a temple because, I mean, Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, they are its temple. And heaven is like living in the most holy place forever. We're not there just one day out of the year. We're there for all eternity. And, and, and furthermore, the city is secure. Verses 23 and 25 say, the gates are always open and there's no night there. No night. Now, now, don't think Alaska in July. It's not what we're talking about there. Yeah, I mean, because uh, people see, well, you know, verse 23 says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. People say, well, I like the full moon or I like the, you know, the prairie sunset. Well, no, hang on here for just a minute. That's not what we're talking about. See, <laughs> what are we talking about? Night here is a symbol for evil and, and darkness and treachery and all that belongs to Satan. So, so don't think Alaska in July. Think John 1, verses 4 and 5. In him, in Christ, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. You see? So what was true about Jesus in John 1, in the new heavens and the new earth, has become true of, of, of everything in all creation. And that's why Revelation 21, 24 says the nations, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. Isn't that beautiful? The nations. John is saying that the new heaven and the new earth will include people from every tribe and race and nation. It's multinational, multi-ethnic. And, and that's why the gates face Four directions in Revelation, in verse 13. And each ethnic group will make a unique contribution to the richness and beauty of God's new creation. I mean, it's going to be, a, I mean, think about how much better this world is once you take the sin factor out. I mean, it improves immediately, wouldn't you say? And so in the new heavens and the new earth, I mean, we're going to get, we're going to get the best the best of the best theology and the best philosophy and the, the best city planning and the best science and the best social theory and the best technology and the best art and the best architecture and the best design, the best landscaping from every culture. We are going to enjoy the best music, that's country, the best drama, the best literature, and thank God, the best food from every nation. I love food. And get this, if we're all bringing the best, see, over time, we will learn every language, every language, so that we share with each of the redeemed 
saints in his or her heart language. You see, that's necessary because there are aspects of the glory of God that can only be communicated in Navajo or Hmong or Chibimba. And we will have minds that can understand and retain the finer points of molecular biology and quantum theory so that we can grasp all of the wonders that God wants to show us. And we're going to have resurrection bodies that will not grow weary after we have danced for joy the first million years. It'll just be, that's just going to be the beginning. Just the beginning. We will have all eternity to grow beyond what we can even imagine. I want that! I want that. Oh, anybody gets even better than that, you see. see we've, we've gotten up to another mountaintop, and yet there's still even a better one, another one. There's, it's not just a bride. It's not just this magnificent city. It's now this, this urban paradise, this garden. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. The garden city. Eden restored, and not just restored, but enhanced and transcended. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city. John's speaking to a first century audience here who, who lived in cities and those cities had main streets. And Sarah and I saw them. Ephesus and Laodicea. And this city's great street has this river flowing down. And, and I love the way this is phrased. It says, that, it says that on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Isn't that great? On each side. How, wait a minute, how come, why not trees of life? No, you're, you're missing the point. The tree of life is accessible to everybody. It's accessible to all. And the fruit, oh, and the have fruit grows, it's ripe every Every month, yielding its fruit, every month, all year long, all year long. But that's not even the best of it, church. The best of it's in verse 4. Verse 4 says, they will see his face. We will see the face of God. Up till now, no one has seen the face of God. Moses didn't see the face of God. When Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis, it was at night, Right? When Isaiah saw that great vision of God's glory in Isaiah chapter 6, he never saw God's face. He just saw the hem of his robe. Just the hem. But here with no sin, no evil, nothing impure, God will have so transformed us so that we will see him face to face. We will have unfettered access to the oval office of the new heavens and the new earth. The best of heaven, the best of the new heavens and the new earth, church family is is not you seeing your loved one face to face. That, that won't be the best. The best is you standing shoulder to shoulder with your loved ones as you together in Christ see his face. I want that. I want that. You want that? You ever been upgraded from economy to first class on a flight? Yeah. Anybody here regret that? <laughs> yeah. Anybody here say, from your first class cushy seat, what am I missing back there? At the back of the plane. <laughs> no. No, the only thing you, 
The only thing that might make you sad is I wish someone that I loved were with me. See? And this is our hope. A sinless and secure city where we will live with God and serve God and reign with God. We will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come. We will have redeemed spirits in redeemed body in a redeemed universe. And if you don't want that, there's nothing else here at this church for you. There's nothing else. But if you want that, if you want this hope, if you want this hope, then you must believe in the one who said in Revelation chapter 21, 6, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost. Without cost. You remember, remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? He offered her living water. He offered her living water. He said, I can give you a foretaste of this river of life and this water will satisfy your deepest thirst. And you say, how? How is that possible? And it's possible because Jesus himself once said, I thirst. On the cross, Jesus endured cosmic thirst and cosmic hopelessness so that we could be satisfied. Someone has called this substitutionary hopelessness where Jesus received the hopelessness we deserve so that we could receive the hope that we don't deserve. Christ lost all he had. He lost the face of God so that we could see the face of God. But he didn't just die. Oh no, God raised him from death and gave him a body that will never die again. And what God did for Jesus, the first fruits, he will do for us who trust in him. And so, and that's why those Christians could face Marcus Aurelius. That's why they could go to their death, because in their souls, the bride and the city and the garden, it was burned into their souls, and it didn't matter what was going to happen to them, because they had Jesus. And listen, no matter what happens to you now, and you may feel like you're facing your Marcus Aurelius, it doesn't matter. No matter what happens to you, when you have this hope in your heart, no matter what happens to you now, it can only make you better. It can... It, it, can, it, it will make you better or it will kill you and then it will really make you better. Right? There's an old church cemetery with an old oak tree and by its massive trunk there's a gravestone with one word that reflects the faith and trust of a grandmother who had the kind of hope and I'm talking about hope in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And on that gravestone is one word. It's the word waiting. 